0: A safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. Coming up after ten fifteen, sex after baby, painful sex, and whatever questions you have for our experts in female sexual and reproductive health as we do our vagina dialogue segment. But first
1: time to check out
0: our inbox
1: your texts are always welcome
0: connect with passion at 514-800 remember you can always send me emails to lori at dr uh, this person sent me an email saying i'm writing to you because i'm not i'm very sorry i'm not comfortable talking on the radio uh, i'm 38 years old male married one child my problem is When I make love, my ejaculation comes so fast and that is bothering us. What should I do to control my ejaculation? Secondly, I know that most men want sex more frequently than women. Frankly, I started masturbating ever since I was in high school until now. Is it unfair to my wife when I masturbate? I do it sometimes when she doesn't like sex and I feel guilty. Good questions. So let me uh, let me answer the first one: the premature ejaculation. And if you've been listening to the show long enough, you certainly know that uh, m- multiple times a week I get questions about premature ejaculation, ejaculating too quickly. The average ejaculation time is between two and five minutes of intercourse. That's not the entire. Uh, sexual experience. So you have to factor in foreplay and and all of that stuff. But in terms of thrusting between two and five minutes, usually we say that under a minute or under 10 thrusts would be um, too fast. A couple things we can try. First things, uh, we try uh, techniques, to, things to, t- to teach you basically to slow yourself down. The very first thing you need to do is be very aware of your point of inevitability. In other words not the, to the point where you go, oops, the point before that, where it's, uh oh, I think it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Okay. So you've got to be aware, which means you have to focus on your sensations. Don't think about baseball or football or your grandmother or anything of that nature. Don't distract yourself. Actually think about what is going on in your penis. So, uh, And once you have that down, like you understand, you have to learn to stop and restart again. Stop and restart again. There's another technique called the squeeze squeeze technique, which is you, you would have to... Uh, practice this through masturbation, but basically get to the point of no, re- uh, close to the point before of no return, and then squeeze the tip of the penis for a few seconds, release, start again, do it again. So uh, back and forth. You could find these exercises online, like uh, you could probably YouTube it even, uh, but there are uh, some books and, and articles and things You could do that. Uh, Most oftentimes, men with premature ejaculation could use some sex therapy with their partner. If none of that works... Some men happen to be ultra-sensitive. We think it, it has something to do with nerves, the br- nerves meaning the neural pathways, not being nervous, uh, but that also can have an effect, by the way. Uh, but there's something to do with uh, neurology. And for some men, what works really well is, is uh, medication and there are medications that you can take every day. Now there's studies that show you can take as needed. They're not it's not specifically for premature ejaculation. However, that they have been studied so they're using antidepressants, SSRIs, and in low doses, not enough to treat depression, but just enough to induce the sexual side effect. So the they are using these off label. Although they're working on Uh, there's one, I think it's available in the States. It's just not available, uh, here yet. The second part of the question is about masturbation. Masturbation is a normal part of one's sexuality. There's nothing to feel guilty about it, especially if your partner is not available. So it's a way to, um, like if you have different libidos, it's just a way to compensate for, for, for those needs. And it's perfectly acceptable. No guilt needed. It's not cheating. Uh, it would be problematic if you were doing that and ignoring your uh, partner. So there you go. Uh, a texter writes, In the texter's sense of consideration and conscientiousness towards his partner is fairly impressive and admirable. Yes, I think that uh, for the most part, uh, most of the men that I see are far more concerned about their partner's pleasure than about their own. Um, I see that a lot. And women need to understand that too, that for oftentimes in long term relationships, like if the partner's not enjoying it, like that takes away the pleasure for, for their partner. Um, and I, I hear that quite a bit. Uh, This texter, I love your show. I think it's the most private, informative way that people can express themselves as I'm not sure my doctor is being totally honest with me at the age of 60. I feel I still have a good sexual life to live. You certainly do, and I feel badly for people who are aging who go to the doctor who's then the doctor say oh you know what you, you've had a good run like uh, you can let it go now it's like there are some who have still maintained that belief that sex, sexuality ends, and it doesn't. It ends with, with incapacity, where you can't do it, or death, like or just not having a partner. But self-sexuality is there. Self-stimulation is still a possibility. And I've spoken to 90-year-olds who have new partners even, who are sexually active, who don't even have sexual dysfunction or erectile dysfunction or anything. So, uh, I think it's pretty sad when, uh, when this is what you're told by, uh, by your doctor. So, and I'm not sure what you mean by, I'm not sure my doctor is being totally honest with me. So honest in terms of what, what kinds of questions are you asking? Are you, do you feel comfortable asking questions of your doctor? Um, and especially when it comes to, Vaginal issues in post-menopause, which a lot of women experience some discomfort, some dryness, uh, things like that, pain during intercourse. But these are remedied, like you can fix that. You can. There are treatments for this so that you don't have to experience pain. And there are other ways of being sexual. You don't need to have intercourse. Uh, another texture for the premature ejaculation says stop for a few seconds, do some oral or manual stimulation for a few seconds. So what you're saying is maintain the, uh, the stimulation, but just reduce the intensity, uh, thinking that the vagina would be, or intercourse would be the most intense sensation. So, and you, yes, you, for some men that you would be right that they, they're not premature with all the others, but with the other forms of stimulation, but they are with that. So that's a possibility. Um, I'm a 35 year old single mom in love with a 23 year old woman. I'm worried about her family you're worried, meaning what? You're, is she in love with you? Are you in a relationship together? Are her parents aware of her homosexuality? Are you worried um, because she hasn't come out to them? Like, are you worried about the age discrepancy? What are you worried about? This is what I would want to know before answering this question. Uh, coming up, Dr. Jacqueline Madar and Laura Schaefer, pelvic floor physiotherapist, will be in. We'll talk about uh, sex after baby, how soon is too soon. Uh, we'll talk about painful sex and any other questions that you have for our specialists in studio tonight. Some of them are hairy. Some of them are bold,
2: some are kind the scary, and this is what they're called. Vujia-huda.
0: This is Passion on CJD 800. Vujia-huda. You know what time it is Vujia. when you hear that song. Uh, we uh, deal with female sexual health and reproduction with Dr. Jacqueline Madar, OBGYN at the Jewish General Hospital, Laura Schaefer, pelvic floor physiotherapist who's presently on mat leave but still likes to do her radio Absolutely. bits. Absolutely. <laughs> and here to help others. So if you have questions, we'd love to hear from you. First question off the top is about BV. Okay, this is, we get this a lot, right, Jackie? We yeah, get this, we get I mean, this a lot. Let get me, this
2: a lot like I get a lot of comments about I it. I mean, we get comments. Yeah. <laughs> I don't mean we, we all get BV a lot. That's yeah. not what I
0: meant. Yeah. Uh, so this person says, I have BV and lately, uh, uh, bacterial vaginosis, and lately I have preferred masturbation. And so now I see that doesn't just develop due to sexual relations. Ah, so this person thought that yeah, it was that. Not at all. I was given a prescription of metro, not. Nitru- Nidazole. Nitazole, and it didn't go away. So I think I'm stuck with it forever. After I was given a prescription to a cream, but it is $40 and don't feel like spending more for something that may not work. So I got cultures done and I have no idea when it will be analyzed. And I had been getting a bit of pain here and there, and a nurse said it could cause permanent problems. At this point, I want to get a surgery to remove most of my vagina because I can't take it anymore. I've gotten BV a lot in the past, but it was treatable. I think I might—I am immune to antibiotics now from all the times I had taken them. What would you advise this woman?
2: Okay, uh, first of all, I would definitely advise against having a surgery to remove your vagina. <laughs> okay, yes, not, not advisable. I think the first step is a lot of women think that they have an infection and they actually don't. So that the first step is just making sure what the diagnosis is to be able to treat it. So to in fact confirm on a culture that it is bacterial vaginosis, and then if it is bacterial vaginosis. Um, there are different kinds of treatment. Yes, one of them is the is the antibiotic that she mentioned, the metronidazole, but there are also other types of vaginal treatments like the one cream. I'm not sure which cream she's referring to that was expensive, mm-hmm. but I'm familiar with there's metronidazole cream, there's clindamycin cream, and there's also a treatment called boric acid, which we use in you know severe cases where it doesn't go away. Okay. So sometimes when a patient has bacterial vaginosis that's recurrent, then they can go like on a prolonged treatment for a couple of weeks. And those patients actually send them to see the infectious disease specialist because at a certain point they need an infectious disease specialist. And often they'll put them on this boric acid treatment, which can be prolonged, last for a couple of weeks. And oftentimes that clears it up. And the other thing that I tell women is even though we don't have that much studies on it, I tell them to take a probiotic that contains something called lactobacillus because that is the really good bacteria in your vagina that keeps the pH stable and keeps actually a healthy environment in the vagina. So the probiotics that have the lactobacillus in them can encourage a a nice vaginal environment to prevent overgrowth of bacteria or of yeast for yeast infections. Could it
0: cause permanent problems? Oh,
2: permanent problems. So what I would say is in any kind of repetitive pain or irritation to the like with childbirth or bladder infections or i have had a patient who had recurrent yeast infection so she was always itching and burning any kind of irritation to the area can lead in a small percentage of cases to like a vulvodynia or like a vaginal vulvar type of pain syndrome but this would be really rare like the infection itself okay. wouldn't cause permanent scarring or anything but right. you know you can get some a rare amount of people can get like a chronic pain syndrome where mm-hmm. like they're so used to being in a lot of pain that sometimes it can affect like their nerve endings. And even after the infection's treated, their like nerve still thinks that there's something. This is a whole other discussion. Mm -hmm. Right. But I feel like this is probably not what the nurse was referring to because this is a very specific pain entity, which is very rare. But won't affect fertility
0: or anything like that? No, nothing like this. No, no, no. Did you want to add something, Laura? No,
1: I was just going to say, I agree there is some women that you see having chronic vaginal pain conditions that sometimes can... Arise after bad cases of like infections we don't know what the cause is but yeah there is
0: times where you see that association yeah a texter says what exactly is bacterial vaginosis and what are the actual symptoms
2: okay so bacterial vaginosis is like a bacterial infection in your vagina so it's like an overgrowth like in your vagina there's good bacteria and bad bacteria normally the good bacteria that i was talking about is called lactobacillus and it's actually a bacteria that makes lactic acid and the acid keeps the pH in your vagina actually acidic which is maintains a good environment so where your vagina is sort of like healthy healthy and not infected and and so and so. So when there's overgrowth of bacteria and bacterial vaginosis, we know that there are some risk factors associated with it, but we're not really sure why it happens. For example, like, so we know certain risk factors or certain ethnic groups can be more predisposed. Hygiene is bad. It has nothing to do with hygiene, but certain people that live in certain living conditions can be more prone to getting it. It's not associated. It's not a sexually transmitted infection. So some women can just get prone to having it unbalanced bacteria in their um, vagina and the symptoms are smelly vaginal discharge so it usually any itchy anything like itchy that it's no? more yeast infections okay. it can sometimes burn but really the main thing is a smelly like okay. a fishy like profuse vaginal discharge okay the itchy is really a yeast a infection yeast. So you, which that's is how you would else. distinguish those yeah, two things absolutely yeah
0: all right, if you have questions uh, for our vagina specialist uh, Dr. Jacqueline Madar, OBGYN at the Jewish General Hospital, Laura Schaefer pelvic floor physiotherapist uh, here to answer your uh, your questions, especially Laura can answer questions about pelvic pain and uh, treatment for pelvic pain. So let us know if there's something you've got and you want to share, then uh, you could do that. 514-800 to text in. You can call in at 514-790-0800. This is fun. I was talking about uh, a woman who wrote in, I don't know if you heard it, but uh, who wrote in, she was 60 years old and her doctor kind of, she felt not understood by Mm -hmm. her doctor. And oftentimes I was saying that doctors dismiss like if you're older and you mm-hmm. and you ask about sex mm-hmm. or wanna uh, want to have yeah. sex, they're like, "What for?" kind of thing. Yeah, you know. And
2: I don't know. I mean, that's terrible. When I ask patients about that, they're like, "Oh my god, why are you asking me this?" And I'm like, "Because <laughs> it's important."
0: <laughs> you see, it is, but because we're not used to it. Yeah. Like if you think about it, uh, we're not used to having our doctors yeah. ask, but our our GPs sh- at the very for least sure. should be asking, and yeah. certainly the mm-hmm. gynecologist. Oh, I would imagine. You'll
1: be surprised at things that people will tell you if Oh you my just gosh. ask. That's yeah. like for me too. I have the time. If right. someone comes in with an issue. Some of the main questions I'm asking are, are related to intercourse or sexual relations. And and then once you start sort of asking, then all those things come out. And they're like, yeah. really? You want to know? Can I tell you? I'm having these issues. And you'll listen.
0: And with yes. you, they share like the traumas oh, yes. and all the other things and that happen. And we talk
1: positions and foreplay and after intercourse what or, or after relations what to do and And we have the time. Like as pelvic floor physios, we most of the time treatments are 45 minutes to an hour. We
0: have the time to go through these things and talk about all these issues. And my guess is physicians because they don't have the time yeah. don't want to open that. they don't want to open it
2: well it's yeah for I would say for sure for the GPs definitely not I mean for me this is what I'm dealing with so I, right. I do ask about it because it's it's what I do but for sure the GP after you go through all the other it's hard you know when a patient comes in and they have multiple complaints and you have to go through everything and you only have a certain amount of time to go through it all um, but I mean it's just very easy to say to the patient look like ask about it but we don't have time today but come back again, you know, yeah. in and we'll, we'll a few weeks, it. and we'll go over it then. Sometimes I tell, tell patients like, "There's a lot of stuff. I want to take the time with you, and so we're going to deal with this today, and then next time when you come back, we're going to take the time to deal
0: with your other issue." Right, which makes sense, and and it's to me extremely responsible, and and the way it should be, so that we don't neglect this very important part of of our lives like yeah. we are all sexual beings and yet Right, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, we're not going to talk about that. Yeah. We can talk about anything else. But yeah. and many times people will come to me saying, "Oh, I, you know, even those who have been in, who are in therapy with someone else or who go see their doctor, oh, I can't ask my doctor that. Yeah, you know, those they ask me, yeah. but I can't ask my doctor. But yeah. you should be yeah, asking your doctor sure. that because I yeah. can't tell you what's physically but, wrong mm-hmm. with you. I
2: will say there is a difference with the young patients and the older ones. The young ones are more likely to just to be ask. like, "Hey, this happens when I have sex, and I'm so happy." They ask me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, but the older ones oh my god it's unbelievable i'll get patients referred to me for you know anyways for all one thing and then i ask and then there's a whole other problem yeah
0: coming up we'll talk about uh, sex after baby Uh, according to this study moms are doing it before they're ready and we'll ask our ob uh, right here some of them are hairy some of them are bald, some are kind of scary,
2: and this is what they're called,
0: the John. Passion with Dr. Lori Petito on CJAD 800. Sex after baby, one of the topics we'll discuss. And any other questions that you have for us at 514-800, we have Dr. Jacqueline Madar. She is an OBGYN at the Jewish General Hospital. And Laura Schaefer is a pelvic floor physiotherapist here to answer, uh, some questions. So the first thing is I read this survey. I thought it was very interesting. Nearly a third of millennials say they had postpartum sex with their partners before they felt ready. They, they asked over close to 7,000 women Um, And they were asked at what point they felt ready to resume sexual intimacy after becoming a mother and if they had sex before they felt like it. So one of uh, a midwife said, the findings are extremely concerning. Having sex after birth before she is ready is troublesome. First, if she has sustained any pelvic floor dysfunction or vaginal, anal or vulvar injuries from pregnancy and birth, she needs proper medical attention before engaging in sex, which could further injure her. The emotional. Emotional ramifications of having sex without feeling ready are significant. Feeling pressured into sex is simply not okay. Healthy and fulfilling postpartum sex is a wonderful thing, but we have to do a better job of conveying to women that they matter. Nearly 40% of the moms in the survey said they did not feel ready for six months to a year. So, much to the dismay of their uh, male partners right? Who Mm -hmm. go to the doctor with them. So, so did you get the okay? Did you get the red light? But the reality is for many women, six months to a year before they feel vaginally comfortable, I suppose. Mm -hmm. So what is going on there that so many women do not feel ready or are having sex too soon or before they're ready? Jackie.
2: Um, Well, okay, so for me, I would say, I can only say what I I see in the office. So I see them for their postpartum visit, usually at six weeks after they deliver. Right. And most women haven't had sex yet because they're always told when they leave the hospital, you know, don't do anything for six weeks until your doctor examines you. So I always bring it up and I always ask them, first of all, do they want to? And to be honest, most of them say no. Some of them say yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, some of them, but most of them say no because, like, you know, they have a baby at home, they're not sleeping, they're tired, they're so busy. And so sex is kind of the last thing that they're talking about, right? Uh, or that they're thinking about. Um, and then some of them say, yes, I want to, but I'm scared. And then a lot of them say, my husband keeps asking me when the pressure, you know, right? mm-hmm. but he wants to, but I'm not so sure. And then they kind of like try to make a joke out of it. And then I always say, look, like, it is not normal if you're having pain after the first couple of times afterwards. And if you do have pain, you need to come back and see me. But I'll be honest, like a lot of them don't come back and don't don't complain about it. Some of them do, but I would say I would turn it over to Laura in, in that regard because you might have more um, And I see insight. them. I, I will yeah. see
0: them like you say. You won't see them again because they don't require your services until right. they may want to get pregnant again. Uh, but then I might see them one to two years later. Yeah with when they come in saying, like, I haven't wanted to have sex or it's been hurting me for so long, like, I now avoid it, you know.
1: Mm -hmm. Laura, this is
0: probably the thing you see the most, right? Yeah,
1: pretty common. I would say, first off, it's very important that women know, initially when you engage in any type of intercourse or sexual relations, after having a baby, it will feel a bit different. Yeah. And that's important to know because it's not going to feel the exact same the first few times that you have uh, Stimulation—it's gonna feel different, and you need to communicate with your partner. It's very important. However, that being said, you may have a little bit of pain because it's like a, a an area that the last time your body remembers a baby was coming out, and now something—it's called to go trauma. In. Yes, <laughs> so that's important to note and. Th- Pain, though, that continues, right? That's where it's an issue. So if you and your partner are trying slowly and after the fourth, fifth, sixth time over, you know, it's still painful, something's going on. And that's where you need to know pain, you stop. And you try something different because what happens is your body recognizes that pain. And over time, your body starts to learn that intercourse causes that pain. And it really affects your relationship and your relations with your partner. Because now every time they approach you for that, your body goes into that heightened awareness, your nervous system goes into that fight or flight, and you're in a state of like... Don't come near me. And then most of the time, it's the partner goes, "Well, we've done this like ten times. Why now are you right. like shying your away? Body and panics, you should be right? able to mm-hmm. do this, but your body's saying no." That leads to then further muscle dysfunction and pain because now the muscles are gripping. They're scared. They're tight. And 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 you're
2: not like lubricated. You're not lubricated. Not There's
1: stress. There's anxiety, right? And so that leads then these women are really struggling eight, ten months later, going like, "How is this still hurting?" But it's been those six months you've been trying that you've caused the problem. So Right. You need to get help right away if it's hurting after those few times that you start, and and again, don't just I see avoid this. and wait and no. wait and wait because that if causes pain, more problems. Exactly, if there's pain, you stop. Do other things. You can still be intimate in different ways. Yeah, that's And you true. just go to the point where you start to feel the pain. When the pain starts, you have to stop and try something else. Um, and and yeah, it, you just have to communicate very very clearly. And I see this so. I see this all the time, but there is ninety percent of people out there that don't even know pelvic floor physios exist to treat this, and that's where it's so important.
0: Yes, I want to talk to a, a little bit more about that because mm-hmm. some people don't know. So Laura Schaefer is my guest. She's a pelvic floor physiotherapist. She's presently on mat leave, but if you want access to pelvic floor physiotherapists, there are uh, multiple clinics. One of mm-hmm. them I work in a clinic where we have a, a pelvic floor physiotherapist at Capino Physio and Wellness Center in the West Island, but in the city, mm-hmm. there's also Absolutely. Um, a, a, quite a few clinics. Uh, Claudia Brown has yep. a, a clinic, Marie Jose Lord. There's, uh yep. Those are some of the two big names also. The
1: OPPQ is our licensing board. If you okay. go on their website, you can look up the different- whole list. Yep whole list of any physio that's treating there. There's also the Canadian Physical Therapy Association. If you look up your area and the type of practice you're looking for, so women's health or pelvic floor, you can sort of see different clinics. But generally somewhere in your area, in your location of the city, there will be someone. And I would talk to women and people in that area, maybe doctors, gynecologists that you're familiar with, to see if they have someone to
0: recommend. Okay. That, because that's that, this good, is to good. Know. I mean, this is a, a relative, I'd say a relatively new specialty. It's like been around for so long, but it's only but starting it's to become more aware. Nobody are knew starting about to talk, it. No, you know? exactly. Not at all. So, and we didn't have as many specialists. Yeah. Like you didn't have that many people trained in Absolutely. this. And I remember at one time in this whole city, there, there were was two like people. One or two, yeah. Yeah, there were two people. There were two people. I'm thinking back 25 years, two people yeah. in the whole city. So now we have far more, and it has become a specialty. Uh, Dr. Jacqueline Madar is our other guest. She's an OBGYN at the Jewish General Hospital. Uh, she will see you th- with a referral from a doctor. She specializes in problems. <laughs> yeah. So mm. no, she doesn't do wellness checkups, pap tests, and things like that. That. If you have an issue, then uh, she's the specialist uh, to go to. So if you'd like to see her, ask your doctor for a referral for uh, Dr. Jacqueline Madar. M A D A R. Uh, coming up, we'll talk a little bit more about other uh, pelvic floor disorders and also uh, someone who had a, a cystoscopy performed and some issues that came up with that. So uh, we'll answer that question. And is 55 years old for a man too old to have a kid? In other words, is uh, in terms of ability. So we can talk a little bit about fertility coming up and, and any other questions you have. Some of them are hairy. Some of them are bald. Some are kind the scary. And
2: this is what they're called. The John.
0: A safe place to work out the Vagina. kinks in any relationship. Vagina. It's passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. The Vagina Dialogues. Uh, J- Dr. Jacqueline Madar is here, OBGYN at the Jewish General Hospital. Laura Schaefer, pelvic floor physiotherapist. This text writes, I'm 55 years old, never had a girlfriend. I would like to find one. Am I still able to have kids at my age? Well not so much a biological clock for men, but what no. are the risks for no, aging uh, sperm? For
2: aging sperm, there is a very small risk of having some um, genetic problems, okay. but it's excessively rare, the genetic problems that can be associated with aging sperm, um, which is too much in detail to talk about right now on the show. But there can be uh, rare chromosome disorders, a uh, small risk of Small increased risk of rare chromosome or genetic problems associated with that.
0: Okay. But Would you check that? Would you do, uh, no, like, if you're no in fertility? There's, t- there's no, no There's no
2: test to check for it. Um... So it would really just be once the pregnancy, once there was a pregnancy to just
0: verify with uh, oh, there's there's certain things that genetic be tested, screening tests right? that can be done, absolutely. Um, I heard and autism too, maybe a higher rate of autism.
2: Not as far as I'm
0: aware. There okay. are
2: certain genetic conditions that we know of that are like a very, very rare, but uh, autism is
0: not as far as I'm aware. Okay. Uh, years ago, I had a cystoscopy performed. And ever since, not only have I been unable to fully empty my bladder upon urination, But furthermore, notice symptoms such as a very pungent odor, as well as an elevated temperature regarding my urine, hotter than normal, which I've been suffering from and which have persisted for years now. However, I'm obviously very reluctant to undergo yet another cystoscopy, which has been suggested by another doctor. And I would therefore like to know whether there are less invasive tests in order to diagnose what actually went wrong
2: feel like i don't have enough information to give advice on this okay. i need to know how old the person is why they had the cystoscopy in the first place mm-hmm. and like if these symptoms were present before or just sort of appeared out of the blue what's a Since can you describe
0: what a cystoscopy is for cystoscopy those
2: of us? Is like a small camera that a doctor uses to put through your urethra, which okay. is where your pee comes out of, to look inside your bladder, pretty much, okay. and they use sort of like a water type solution to uh, blow up the walls of the bladder so you can see all the walls of the bladder inside. Okay, so a I urologist
0: if, would be the best person. Yeah, to a see, urologist
2: right? or a urogynecologist, which is a gynecologist that specializes
1: in um, bladder problems in women. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um,
2: I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Laura.
1: No, I mean I would just say too with the. Urine being very concentrated and hot and feeling mm-hmm. like are we sure just questioning the dehyd- like hydration levels water yeah. and that kind of thing if there's something that way just to make sure you're
0: well hydrated well hydrated
1: mm. is, okay. is just one thing that comes to mind when I hear that and, and I have seen women though that have had procedures such as this and, and end up with some pain. And uh, sometimes it is just associated with the tensing and the yeah. stress of the procedure. Yeah. Yeah. And so seeing a pelvic floor physio can help because ah. everything, even the bladder, the muscle, the pelvic floor, after the procedure, there was so much anxiety, yeah. so much worry, stress after, how am I going to pee? How am I going to, you know, and then the muscles are all tense. And so just getting someone in there to show you how to relax and get some some tension release in those muscles that are around Might the bladder is actually really helpful. Yeah. yeah. So that's I the was, other thing. That's
2: what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. But then with the hot sensation, yeah, that sort of threw me off a bit. So, yeah, totally.
1: You would yeah. know more than I would than I would, but that would be just my insight. But well, on I a think few it things. would. I
0: think it would be probably beneficial to just have For an sure. evaluation by a pelvic floor yeah, physio. If, who can go in there? Yes, right. And, if, and, and how and long and this has look, been that she's had this issue? A few Guaranteed years there's, Yeah, a
1: few years. There's some some, some stress and anxiety and tension yeah. related to that. That could just help to ease some of the issues you're having and then, you know, prepare you for this next cystoscopy right. if you're going
0: to have another one too. So, yeah. this person we we just talked about this, but let's do it. My girlfriend is about to give birth. How long do I have to wait to have sex? Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you may have to wait a while. Yes. Like communicate wait until she's ready. You know, yeah. it's like uh, this is what masturbation is for. Take care of your <laughs> needs like uh, I think it's more important that we are sensitive to what our partner's feeling in terms of not, you know, what's Mm -hmm. happening in her vagina, which is, may not be pleasant, uh, and also emotionally. And is she going to be breastfeeding? Like that's another factor. Mm -hmm. Vaginal dryness may Mm -hmm. be a factor. Her desire levels may be low because Mm -hmm. she's breastfeeding. She may be so fatigued that you coming in and saying, I want, I want is going to tell her to like buzz off, buzz off, you know, because she's going to be overwhelmed with all other demands. There are Mm -hmm. many factors that play into women's readiness to Mm -hmm. engage in sex. So don't be a needy, you know, like a whiny baby about it and try and understand what she's going through and work something out together so that maybe you won't have intercourse, but you can certainly engage in other forms of sex play as well. So. I I think it can be that wasn't too harsh
1: no it's good I'm glad I'm glad you said that but I think it can be confusing because they they do say there's these guidelines like oh wait six weeks or seven weeks and that makes people think oh I wait that long right every woman is so different the type of birth that a woman has the degree of tear she may have like some women just have one or two stitches some have a a very extensive stitching procedure. And internal tearing. But, like,
2: even if they had a C-section, like, it can still hurt even if you
1: had a C-section. That woman has carried a baby for nine months on those muscles. That's right. So
2: I think even regardless, like... You know, some people think, oh, I had a C-section, no problem, but I see women who had a Mm C-section who still have that spasm, that pelvic floor muscle spasm, and it can still hurt just as much. Mm -hmm. Right.
0: So just back to that woman who was uh, the cystoscopy person. She's 55 years old, no symptoms prior to, had it performed because my urine was always clear despite not drinking much water, and I was wondering why. Hmm. So... I think a gynecologist or urologist, or urologist would be the best yeah. uh, person to go. Mm-hmm. Ladies, can't thank you enough for your time, your expertise. Thank you so much. Once again, if you want a referral uh, to uh, see Dr. Jacqueline Medard because you have a specific problem, she's a specialist, doesn't do the wellness exams, then ask your GP for a uh, referral. Laura Schaefer, well, she's uh, presently on mat leave, so she's... Too busy with their own babies <laughs> to be uh, to be working, but go to the website of the OPPQ. the order of yeah. uh, a physiotherapist, mm-hmm. and you will be able to find those that specialize in pelvic floor physiotherapy. And really, like I know so many of them, and they're amazing. Mm-hmm. So most Absolutely. of them are excellent, know exactly what they're doing, and very well trained. Uh, so thank you again. If you have questions next month, these two ladies will be back in studio. Uh, to answer them. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. Thanks to Aaron Lakoff, our uh, technical producer tonight. If you want to connect with me on social media, you could do that at Dr. Bettito, B-E-T-I-T-O, or just go to my website, DrLori.com. You can answer, ask your questions there um, as well. Coming up next here on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening, and remember to live your life with passion
2: i your vídeo?